here, a wonderful God, man of God, uh, preach to us today. Pastor Doug Smith, Schmidt, excuse me, was, was pastor of uh, Woodside and, and uh, is willing to come and bring the word to us today. Brother. Oh, it's an honor to be with you. Thank you, Nathan. Uh, I, when my wife and I accepted the call to, be, uh, to serve at Ross Bible Church back in the mid-80s. And the church had just started a radio station at that time, and, and so we didn't know what we were doing, so we came over to Calvary Bible Church, WMPC, and Pastor Bracey and his team were such a wonderful help as we got started there. So I'm very thankful. I know of your church, know of the ministry of it. Uh, we've pastored uh, Woodside Bible Church for the last 28 years, and then uh, just transitioned out about a year and a half ago the head of a ministry called Barnabas Ministries of Michigan, which is basically an encouragement ministry to pastors as well as to churches. So we're doing that now. And um, I've known Pastor Jeremy for quite a while now. You know, we share the same alma mater. And, uh, but more than that, we share a bond of the ministry together uh, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, I think the world of Pastor Jeremy and Tina and love with the work that they're doing here at Calvary Bible. So honored today to be with you and honored today to speak to you whether it's on Facebook or in person and hopefully share a word of encouragement to you today. This has been a horrible year, hasn't it? In so many respects with COVID that nobody could have predicted and then the racial divide our country's experienced and then a crazy election cycle and a crazy election and then uh, so many other things so that the nation's kind of going in two different directions. And it's uh, troubling, it's discouraging. And in spite of all of that, or in light of all of that, many of us are going through our own challenges. I have a friend who every night, probably for the last week and a half, at uh, 7.30 in the evening, will gather a group of people outside of a hospital in Port Huron to pray for his wife inside who has COVID and not doing very, very well at, at all. So um, he's concerned and praying and we, have all, we all have those problems, don't they? Whether it be financial or relational, uh, uh, employment, uh, we all have those challenges. But I want to encourage you today that you, every one of you, have a great problem solver. You have a wonderful counsel in your life. When you join in your Bibles, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, uh, takes the Isaiah is about eight centuries before Jesus came to earth. And, but Isaiah is filled with some wonderful prophecies. We've been singing about some, where Jesus was the fulfillment of those prophecies of Isaiah. In the ninth chapter, uh, the verses are beautiful because and many of those verses are fulfilled in the New Testament. But let me begin reading in chapter 9, verse 1. But there'll be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time he made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, the Galilee, the Gentiles. What he's talking about there, if you, all of you have a map of Michigan, right? Okay, if you have a right hand, you have a map of Michigan. A left hand, I've used this for years, is a map of Israel. It's about the size of the state of New Jersey. Over here you have the Mediterranean Sea. This is Mount Carmel. Remember when Elijah fought off the prophets of Baal. Uh, if you have a ring, your ring like that, it's the Sea of Galilee. And so this land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, 
is the land of, the, of Galilee. Galilee is the northern part of Israel. And over the course of a time in Israel's history, the Old Testament, uh, Marathi tribes would come in there, cities were given away, it was a long way from Jerusalem, and it became known as really the other side of the tracks. And so you were from Galilee, you didn't know anything, you were uh, unsophisticated, you were maybe worshiping other gods. And so it was a dark, dark spot. But Jesus, or Isaiah is predicting here, prophecy given to him by God, that that dark land would one day see a great light. You say, what is, in, what is in Galilee that could possibly bring light? It's all dark. A little town called Nazareth. Jesus wasn't born there. Mary and Joseph made their way uh, down this ridge route all the way down to a little town called Bethlehem, where Jesus was to be born. And after birth and some time in Egypt, they made their way back to the hometown of Nazareth. And from that, in that dark land, Jesus was to be the bright light, not only shining in Galilee, but ultimately through all the world. Um, and so he's talk, this is what he's talking about. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden, the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as the day on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle of tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. And then verse 6, you'll recognize perhaps more than the previous verses. Let's read it together, shall we? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. We see in this verse, first of all, the miraculous birth of Jesus in the first part of the verse. For unto us a child is born, child perhaps referring to the human side of Jesus, and unto us a son is given, son perhaps referring to the divine. For in Jesus we find, found something that would somebody who's different than any other baby born for this this baby had no father this baby was born of a woman but uh, was the, the god man we also notice in the second part of the verse the government shall be upon his shoulders and this is a prophetic even uh, prophetic for us it was prophetic for them uh, but jesus came and many of the disciples thought that followed him that he's going to take over the government and he's going to deliver us from the Romans, from Roman oppression. And they were looking at Jesus as the deliverer. At the same time, the people didn't accept him. He came into his own, and his own received him not. And so the, the ruling of Jesus as, a, as the, the governor, as the leader, has yet to come. And while he's ruling in our hearts, all of those of us who've accepted Jesus, that's not the fulfillment of prophecy. I think this will be fulfilled when Jesus will set up his kingdom and he'll rule and reign with righteousness and peace. We find that's yet to come. And I look forward to that day. I don't know about you. Every human leader we have or who will have, will ever have will be flawed in some way, but not Jesus. Jesus will bring it all together in righteousness and peace. And then finally the verse shows <clears throat> 
the maskless names of Jesus. There are four of them given. Uh, some of the older commentaries and scholars would put a wonderful a counselor, a comma between them and have five names. Um, most of the modern translations will have wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Uh, those names <clears throat> would all refer to Jesus. And yet when Jesus lived on earth, he was not called by any of those names. And yet by his actions and by his lifestyle, he lived out those names. We don't have time to get into all four of them this morning, but I want to focus just on the first one. Wonderful counselor. You have a wonderful counselor in your life. But let's take those two words and divide them. And we, as we divide them, let's understand each one. As we understand each one, we'll put it back together again. And then look and see how Jesus was the wonderful counselor when he lived on this earth. And ask the question, is Jesus still the wonderful counselor for the problems that you and I will face every day? So first of all, wonderful. What does that word mean, wonderful? We use the word all the time. For example, if you were having uh, somebody invite you down over for dinner, and you would come away saying, it was uh, wonderful. And probably what you meant by that is wonderful is somewhat better than good, but not as great as fantastic or incredible. It was wonderful, right? So we use the word with those kind of connotations. It was wonderful. That's not what the word means. Let's look at three verses from the Old Testament where that word or the root of that word is found. And if we can understand what it means in those verses, perhaps it will help us understand what it meant as a name for Jesus. The first passage I want to share with you is Psalm 78. Uh, the verses will be on the screen, but uh, feel free to look them up in your Bible um, if you'd like. Psalm 78, verse number 12. In the sight of the father, their fathers, he performed wonders. That's the word right there. He performed wonders in the land of Egypt, in the fields of Zoan. So it's taking us back to the time when the children of Israel were in Egypt and they were coming out of Egypt. He performed wonders. The word actually means, it's a combination of different thoughts, but it means amazing, astonishing, hard to explain. Uh, incomprehensible, amazing, astonishing, hard to explain. And then the next few verses he'll go on and describe what those wonders were. He says here, he divided the sea, let them pass through it, and made the water stand like a heap. In the daytime he led with a cloud, and, and, and all the night with a fiery light. And he goes on to talk about, he opened up rocks so that water, fresh water, could come from the rocks and feed these people. Well, you can imagine, if you're a part of that group, the children of Israel, one, perhaps one and a half million, maybe some suggest even two million people, coming out of the land of Egypt after 400 years, that God broke the grip of Pharaoh through the plagues, he allowed him to go, remember, he changed his mind, and the Pharaoh came after him with his horses and his chariots to destroy him, and the children of Israel were trapped. The trapped in front of them was the Red Sea, Behind them was an army that's ready to conquer them, uh, take them back, and not kill them. And God opened up the Red Sea, and they were able to walk through on dry land in perfect timing. They got to the other side, the Egyptian army came in after them, and those walls came down. 
and in one minute you're at the brink of it's all over until the next minute you say what just happened that's a wonder amazing astonishing hard to explain could you say it with me this is the definition of wonder amazing astonishing hard to explain some of you are nothing okay. <laughs> amazing astonishing hard to explain and he brought water out of rocks wonder another passage is uh, Joshua chapter 3 and verse 5 the context here is the children of Israel had come uh, wandered in the desert now for 40 years remember Kadesh Barnea they didn't have the faith to enter the land and so God said you're going to wander in the wilderness and they wandered Moses led them for about 40 years now Moses has died they're at the brink of coming into the promised land from the east side by Jericho the only problem is the Jordan River is in between and it's during flood season. How are we going to get across? And these were the words. <clears throat> Sanctify, uh, Joshua chapter 3 verse 5, or consecrate yourself, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among us. And the people were to get spiritually and physically ready for what they were going to experience the next day that would be a wonder. And the next day it happened. Just as they promised, God promised that the, the, uh, the, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant as they approached, and the people were, I think, 2,000 cubits back, so they could see it also out of respect for the Ark of the Covenant. When they got to that place where they stepped foot in the Jordan River during flood season, that moment, it opens up, and they were able to walk through a dry land. Liberals who don't believe in the miracles of the Bible will say, well, you have to understand that what happened is that several miles north, it's happened twice before in history, once in the 12th century, once in 1927, the walls of the Jordan River, the banks, came crashing down and temporarily blocked the Jordan River from, uh, from, from, from passing further south. They said it wasn't a miracle, it was... Just a natural thing with the blocking of the, the, the Jordan by the banks of the river caving down. Isn't it amazing, the timing of that coincidence, where they step in the water and 12 miles north, it happened. It was a miracle of God. And they knew it. This is the wonder. How do you explain that? And Joshua told the people, the only way we're going to explain it just remember, just make a monument here, or make another monument in the middle of the river, and another monument we'll make at Gilgal. So in the ages to come, your kids ask you, Dad, what are those rocks piled up for? You say, God did a wonder. Amazing, astonishing, hard to explain, the wonders among us. Let me share one more passage, and this is Judges chapter 13, verse 18. Um, the context here, let me tell you the story for time. It's a little longer. But what happened is that the children of Israel, because of their sin, were taken over by the Philistines for 40 years. And there was a couple there that wanted to have children and couldn't, Manoah and his wife. And one day, uh, the angel of the Lord appeared to his wife and said to her, listen, uh, you're going to have a child, and this child is going to be special. He's going to, don't let his hair grow out, 
He's going to take the Nazarite vow. He's not going to drink any strong drink. And this had to be a huge encouragement to her. She went back to her husband, Manoah, and she said, listen, you're not going to believe this, but this man of God spoke to me and said this. In the Old Testament, many scholars believe that when you, you see that expression, the angel of the Lord, that most of the time that would be referring to Jesus, a pre-incarnate form of Jesus where he would come, uh, he would appear as a human being, but it would be a, a scholars call it a Christophany or a pre-incarnate form of Jesus. Um, she didn't recognize the angel of the Lord, but she referred to him as uh, a man of God. Manoah, her husband, said, wow, we need to pray that God would bring back that man of God and share the, so you can share the details with us of how this is going to happen. And, uh, and so they prayed. God answered the prayer, and the angel of the Lord appeared to his wife again. She ran and got her husband. Her husband came back. The angel of the Lord repeated what was going to happen, that you're going to have a child, he's going to be special, and he's going to deliver your nation. The, uh, the man's name was Samson. Samson. But in this discussion, the uh, Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, um, he said, stay with us, I'm going to make a meal. The angel of the Lord says, you can make a meal, I'm paraphrasing, you can make a meal, but I'm not going to eat. But rather, rather than making a meal, make an altar. Perform an offering. And then the text said, the man suggested a meal because he didn't recognize this was the angel of the Lord. God doesn't need our meals. He, he wants our worship. And then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, how is this going to be? And what is your name? The answer from the angel of the Lord said, why do you ask my name? Because it is wonderful. In other words, it's amazing, astonishing, hard to explain. My name is incomprehensible. Because in the name of Jesus, so much is involved in his amazing, astonishing works. So that's wonderful, okay? Can we repeat the definition together? You gotta help me out here this morning, folks. The definition of wonderful, amazing, astonishing, hard to explain. So let's look at the word counselor. What does that mean? Counselor means problem solver. You go to a counselor to get a problem solved. A counselor is a problem solver, is it? A problem solver, it presupposes that the problem solver has wisdom and, and, and enough wisdom to give counsel. Let me again share three verses. And in these three verses, they, they show the kind of problem solver that Jesus is. The first one is prophetic. It's found earlier on in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. There they are. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And so this son of Jesse, Jesus coming through the line of Jesse and David, was to be born, and the Spirit of God was going to come upon him, and he would be full 
of wisdom and understanding, counsel and might. So that's Jesus, the great problem solver with his wisdom and his counsel. Let's go to another passage, Romans chapter 11, verses 33 and 34. This is an amazing, amazing text. Because the book of Romans, in my opinion, is like the best book of the Bible. Uh, and it just talks about man, it talks about God, it talks about salvation, it talks about depravity, sin. It talks about faith, being justified by faith, being justified so there's no condemnation. And then he gets to the end of chapter 8 and chapters 9, 10, and 11, answer the question, is there a future yet for Israel? And in chapter 9, 10, and 11, uh, a long answer, but basically he says, yes. But how could that be? Israel rejected Jesus. And the Apostle Paul, as he's writing this under inspiration, is revealed that because of the rejection, God somehow used the rejection of Jesus by his own people to turn it into the possibility of salvation for the world and billions of people yet to be born. As if the Apostle Paul said, who'd have thought that? And he goes into this doxology of praise where he says, oh, the depths, both the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways beyond tracing. Who's known the mind of the Lord? Who's been his counselor? Who's first given to God that God is duty bound to give back again? For of him and through him and to him are all things. Who's been the counselor for God? How many of you have tried? Guilty as charged. There have been so many times I'll run into a problem and I'll say, God, we got a problem and here's how you can solve it. I can't do it, but I can tell you how to do it. And this is, and God almost always solves the problem, but almost never the way I suggest. He doesn't need a counselor. He is the great problem solver. But he does it, put them together, in amazing, astonishing, hard to explain ways. Absolutely incredible. Now, um, that's Romans chapter 11, 33. Um, let's just let's skip the third one and let's put those two words together. Wonderful, amazing, astonishing, hard to explain, problem solver. Jesus, in his life on earth here, would solve people's problems in amazing, astonishing, hard to explain ways. And it could be hundreds. Uh, the story is told in Mark chapter 5, where Jesus went on the other side, the east side of the uh, Jordan River to the area of Decapolis, and there he was confronted by a man, a man by the name of Legion. He cut himself with, with stones. Um, people were afraid of him. This is the way, if he was walking down the street, you take your kids and you go to the other side of the street. He, they couldn't bind him. He was filled with demons. This is the kind of person that people would run from, but not Jesus. Well, what's the answer? There was no medication for this man. There was, there was no incarceration for him. Um, but Jesus, the great problem solver, spoke to him, cast the demons out. And, the pigs. and this man became a follower of Jesus to the extent where he said, I want to go with you. Let's travel together and I'll tell of your wondrous works. 
And Jesus said, no, stay here where people know who you were and people not what you've become and tell the story of Jesus. Jesus was a great problem solver. I, I think of so many, I think of the um, walking on the water, storm calming the sea. I think of a leper in Luke chapter five who came to Jesus. Uh, there was no cure for leprosy at that time. And so people, and, and there was a, um, curse that went along with it. There was a, they were ceremonial and clean. They couldn't worship in the temple. They didn't have it. There was no answer except for the great problem solver. And Jesus cured people of leprosy in different ways, sometimes by speaking and sometimes by touching. But he set them free. Physically, he became the great problem solver. But he did it in an amazing, astonishing, hard to explain ways. And people just marveled. I think emotionally, I think there's so many examples. I think of the woman at the well. I think of the woman taken in adultery, John 7, John 8. Remember that she was surrounded by guys who wanted to throw stones at her? And Jesus just knelt down and he wrote something in the dirt. What was he writing? We don't know. Some suggest he was writing the names of the people who were guilty with that woman. Some of the names of the guys who had stones in their hands ready to throw them. I kind of think Jesus was just scribbling. Don't quote me on this. I think he was just scribbling, giving time for the Spirit of God to work in their hearts. And then he says, those without sin cast the first stone. And they dropped their stones and walked away. And Jesus said, who condemns you? They're gone. He says, neither do I, but go and sin no more. I think of, uh, I think of Peter. Remember Peter? I'll go with you wherever you go. I'll fight for you. Cut off the ear of Malchus uh, the night before Jesus was crucified in the garden. Um, but later that same night, he denied him. Denied him. Denied him. And I think is is confronted by that, he's along that fire, you remember, outside of Caiaphas' house. And three times he denied Jesus. He had to feel horrible. Later when Jesus died on the cross and then came forth from the grave on Sunday morning, it was, Jesus, it was uh, the angels who said to the women, <clears throat> Go tell the disciples and Peter that Jesus will meet you in Galilee. Why would they say, go tell the disciples and Peter? I think what happened between Thursday night and Sunday was that the guilt and shame and overwhelmed Peter so much that he turned in his disciple card. <laughs> I really do. When Mark's account says, go tell the disciples and Peter, what does the fisherman do when he, he uh, comes to be a disciple and he gives up his discipleship card? Goes back to fishing. He goes back to fishing. That's exactly what happened. Peter was out with some of the other disciples after the resurrection of Jesus. They were fishing all night and couldn't catch anything. And Jesus was making a breakfast for him on shore. Remember he calls out to them to catch your net on the other side of the boat. That really had to be encouraging to him. 
who's this guy making breakfast for us? Probably just hot fish. And they got a little closer. Is, it, is that Jesus? Peter gets out of the boat and goes towards, and there's this, this, this conversation that takes place as Jesus is making breakfast for him. It's interesting. The Bible says Jesus was making breakfast for him around a charcoal fire. I don't know about you, but the sense, the smells bring back memories. I grew up in southwestern Minnesota, and we would make forts in the woods, uh, this old hay wagon and you know, barrels and everything that got discarded, we'd make forts. But the weeds around there and the flowers, there was an aroma in the woods. And if I smell that today, it takes me back a couple hundred years to when I was a kid uh, <laughs> in southwestern Minnesota. You know, there's, you know the smell of a charcoal fire? It's different than the smell of any other fire. There are only two times in the Bible that a fire is referred to as a charcoal fire. One of them was on the Thursday night when, when Peter denied Jesus. And those fumes had to be reminders that I denied my Lord. Jesus, the great problem solver, takes a charcoal fire with his aromas and his memories. And he asks them three questions. Do you love me? Do you love me? And do you love me? Almost to take that snow to erase its meaning from the three denials. That's a great problem solver. That cool. And then spiritually, the great problem solver, Jesus. We had a problem we couldn't solve. That we, we were all estranged from God, objects of his wrath. And the great problem solver went to the cross. And the Bible says that God laid upon him the sins of the entire world. Problem solved. If you don't know Jesus yet, you have a problem that only he can solve. And that's to be reconciled with an almighty God. And by faith we come to him, confess our sins, and accept and believe that the work that Jesus did on the cross, he did for us. He was our substitution. And when we accept by faith, it's true what was read this morning from John chapter 1 and verse 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of Jesus lived out wonderful counselor every day of his life on earth in his earthly ministry. Is he still doing it today? The correct answer here would be yes. Yes, yes. He's still doing it today. In fact, I've, I've been to so many funerals and I've heard this probably a thousand times. Loved ones of the deceased will say, I don't know how people make it through times like this if they don't know Jesus. It was in 2005. We had a, we were interviewing a guy to hire at Woodside Bible who was going to be a children's pastor. And I had the last interview with him. He's coming from Seattle. And uh, we met at a restaurant after the evening service. And, and I was just asking him a question. His name is Daryl Burse. 
I said, Daryl, tell me about yourself. I want to learn. Uh, and I asked him the question, what are your hobbies? And I was expecting something like golf or tennis or, you know, skydiving or something. And he said, well, I go to Thailand. Well, what do you do in Thailand? He began to talk to me about the human trafficking in Thailand that you've probably heard about, where children are taken and um, uh, little kids and become part of a horrible sex industry there. And he says, I go over there and there's a, a building in the industrial section of Bangkok where children are wholesaled. And he said, I go in and he said, uh, if they knew what I was doing, they would kill me on the spot. And he says, I can buy a little girl for about $300 and I'll take her outside. We get in a cab and we go high up into the mountains where I leave her at an orphanage. And he said, I've done this 110 times. Wow. Little did I know that that dinner would change my life and change the life of our church. We didn't hire Daryl. Um, I forget all the reasons now, but we didn't hire him. But that the message of that mission never left me. And probably a few weeks later, it was on Sunday morning, I planned including it in my, my message, but I just brought it up in one of the services that, about the human trafficking there. And I said, it's happening all over the world and we can't stop it. And, and I shared about Daryl. And people came up to me afterwards and said, well, what are we gonna do about it? I don't know. Well, we gotta do something. Making a long story short, we decided to um, to do a more prevention rather than rescue because rescue is way too dangerous for the people of our church and recidivism rate was pretty high. So we partnered with a pastor up in the north outside of Shanghai in the hill country where so many of the beautiful Aka children had been orphaned as their fathers had died and scripted uh, by force into the war of Myanmar that made their way across the border and end up oftentimes, unfortunately, in Bangkok on the streets. So let's, let's start an orphanage. And we bought land and built an orphanage, and now today there are 85 children in that orphanage, or more now. Uh, a little boy, a little orphan named Saman, that my wife and I started supporting when he was like this. Now he's ready to graduate from a Bible college in Bangkok to go back to serve at the orphanage. We had a dedication service in 2006. Beautiful facility. 25 children were there that were, uh, they sang at the dedication service, and I'll never forget a song they sang, half in awk and half in English, but one of those lines that will never be lonely again. Oh, wow. I invited Daryl to come to the dedication of the orphanage, and he was there for that. As I'm listening and watching, hundreds of people now gathered from the city, the tribal groups, and they were singing. And can you imagine how great thou art in Thai and Aachen and English as we're lifting our voices to God? It was just a bit of heaven. But it hit me then that God was doing all of this. And it wasn't just about Daryl and me putting an idea together. In my mind, I went back and I thought, I wonder, I wonder if in one of the wars of Myanmar, 
An Akkadad lying on the ground, wounded, gasping his last breath, is crying out to God. God, if, you, if you're there and if you're real, take care of my kids. Take care of my kids. And a great problem solver. An amazing, astonishing, hard to explain things. But all the pieces together, his ways are beyond finding out, beyond tracing. He put it all together to answer a prayer, to meet a need, to save lives. So much good has come from all of that. It can only be God. Folks, I don't know what you're going through today. You're going through the macro stuff with the rest of us as Americans. But you may be going through some personal stuff. That's heavy on you, keeps you awake at night, or keeps you from sleeping soundly through the night. You don't have an answer. There's somebody who does. And for my friend tonight at 7.30, will be outside of Fort Huron Hospital, new name for it now, I think. He'll be out there with a group of other people praying for a wife he cannot see. But God is there. Jesus is the great problem solver. And I'm convinced she'll be healed. Sometimes when God heals, he heals gradually. Sometimes when he heals, he heals instantaneously. And sometimes when he heals, he heals ultimately. Judy will be healed in one way or another. I believe in that because I have a Jesus who's a great problem solver. And so do you. He's your great problem solver. He can solve problems that we can't even touch. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll give us hope today and give us faith to believe. But the great problem solver will solve problems. Father, may we give us your problems. Father, there are those listening either here or, or at home who don't know Jesus yet. Lord, I pray that you would bring them to the saving knowledge of Jesus.